get another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can go. I owe my soul to the company store. Now, 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 now. Some people say a man is made out of muck. Poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and bone and steel and the right one won't get you, then the left one will. Alright folks, how you doing? So, I know that a lot of people have said, after my post-election stream, when I laid out the case for the, uh, the incurable deadlock between two purely culturally effective political parties that cannot be resolved by any appeal to material conditions, that that's black pill, and that that's doom scrolling or whatever that means and especially since I just kind of ended with if something comes it'll come from below and I can't say what it is it's like god damn that's a fucking uh, kick to the groonies what? and while I still can't say how it'll happen or who will be participating in it because that's going to have to be occur in the moment I do think now having thought about it a little bit that I have an idea a sense of what the general general shape of such a thing would be so I could lay it out and give it a description of how I think something might emerge that people could keep an eye out for uh, and involve themselves with uh, if it comes into their view personally, not something that imposed about from me or something that exists now, that's for sure. But like just structurally, just to give people a something to think about while they're trying to tend their own garden without getting too doom-scrolled doom or whatever the hell. So... Let's go to the election. Let's start there. Looks like Biden has won. Looks like the threat of the Trump coup literally did just turn out to him, be him asking someone else to do it, and everyone being like, nah, things are fine. Uh, we'd rather keep, we wouldn't rather, we would not like to risk either our lives in the form of like his supposed shock troops who are going to come and flood the zone and, and initiate the day of the rope, or their careers uh, in the form of the people at the top of the uh, political and judicial structure, and you might say, uh, well, you silly person, like, they have no consequences. I don't think that's true, considering how it wasn't close enough for that to be the case. These, It's like, it, it's not a Florida uh, Gore-Bush situation. There was no room for a, a real grab that would have been normalizable, maybe. Like, to, it, uh, some, not something that the snake could digest. And so it all pivoted away. So we're getting Biden. And I know a lot of people are breathing a sigh of relief. And some people are pointing to everybody who is breathing a sigh of relief and saying, aha, you cuck. You said all you could, you could say all you want about how you didn't like Biden and you weren't voting for him, but you are rooting for him. And that's the same thing. You're secretly, just through your discussion, the way you framed them, you're brainwashing your audience to vote for Biden. You fucking cuck. I knew it. And as to that, I say fair play. Because if the Democrats are the don't be an asshole party and the Republicans are the don't be a, a pussy party, I will admit, at those culture, at that cultural level, I am a member of the Don't Be an Asshole Party, or otherwise known as a pussy. I fit the demographic. I went to fucking college, a middle-class white kid, went to college at the right time, had the right combination of life experiences to connect to the college experience in a way that conditioned me towards having certain social views about cosmopolitanism and things like that. And I know that those are, uh, you know... Um, uh, and I know that those are real issues with real policies related to them, you know, police funding, and you're talking about racial justice or something like that, and 
you know, immigration, that those all connect to real things with real consequences. But for me, they are felt effectively. They are felt emotionally. They're not really part of my, like, material interests because I'm a white male. But I know it's not, it's an asshole to just let people get exploited and, and racism, and done racism on. Um, and fair enough. Uh, I cop to that. I have those views. Because that part of the conditioning I keep, I've kept. Because it's, it's not, people, like, the, the new theory is, like, those set of affects are, uh, uh, like, neoliberalism. It's, no, they are the cultural, uh, uh, like, architecture of the broad cosmopolitan uh, point of view, which is contrasted with the parochial point of view that is uh, manifested in the don't be a pussy Republican Party. Those are the people who didn't go to college and absorbed those things or went to college and rejected those things. And I'm not one of them, so I am fucking rooting for Biden. I'm sorry. I was. Cop to it. Although I have to say, though, I have absolutely no faith that this is going to be a better outcome than Trump having won re-election. In fact, I think there's a very good chance it's a worse outcome. I mean, nothing to be done about it. There was never anything to be done about it by any of us, be realistic, but... I, 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 when I look at the next four years, the way this vote happened, I really do see no reason to have any thought other than um, the uh, divided government means that nothing of any consequence has passed beyond like the beer, the the the, the very merest like minimal amount of uh, of uh, recovery money and 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 such, and that we will allow ourselves to go through a, a second Cleveland term response to a crisis where we just sort of allow it to continue without any kind of significant government intervention. The only big, if we get any big legislation, it will be something like entitlement reform, uh, the, the grand bargain that McConnell is waiting and salivating at the prospect of passing, in which with a Democratic House led by Nancy Pelosi, instead of a fucking crazy group full of Tea Party psychos uh, under uh, Boehner who wouldn't take a deal when it was given to them by Obama, they might actually be able to get it. Uh, culturally, all the wars that we think are over are only going to get more intense and more annoying. I mean, I think that the, the uh, particular keening were of them will go down because Trump's not there to like keep the uh, keep the liberals psychotically activated. But just the general drift is going to ratchet towards more conflict, and there's going to be more police violence, and there's going to be more demonstrations about police violence, and there's going to be more political violence in general that people are going to spectacleize and assimilate into their political view, and it's going to harden things. Mean, and that means that those newly introduced Republicans who showed up, uh, the ones who aren't just going to stop paying attention, are going to become more convinced of their Republicanness. Uh, but more importantly, all of the people who came up to stop Biden uh, are in the midterm going to stop paying attention. You'll see another red wave like in 2010. And then uh, a failure to recover at all from the uh, collapse, unlike the fake recovery we got under Obama that was then covered with Obama's personal charisma and like narrative power to shape shape our you know relationship to the government uh, uh, just Joe Biden's rickety skeleton uh, presiding overall like a fucking dance macabre uh, we he gets destroyed by whatever comes after Trump Donald Trump jr John Taffer my pillow guy maybe Tom Cotton or Josh Hawley I mean it's gonna be a battle royale but whoever it is it's that and then you get locked in like a full suite of anti-democratic things that legitimately limit franchise and that uh, allow for the full like securitization of life, the full privatization of life, 
for the coming breakup, you know, into the techno-cantons and the, and, the, and the dissolution of central authority, which is the end gauge game of that faction of capitalism's political expression. And the Democratic Party will be unable at every point to stop this because, as I have said, their drift cannot be reversed. They can only double down on what they have been doing. Like, you see it. Oh, uh, Trump won because America's more racist than we thought. Well, we're just going to have to scream more about racism then. Okay, that guarantees that all those people who started, who voted for Trump in 2020 because they think that's a bunch of pussy bullshit talk are going to double down on it. Uh, and meanwhile, new all those working class people you're hoping to bring into, the gov uh, into politics, they're going to see you screeching and howling and they're going to mostly tell you to shut the fuck up because they didn't go to finishing school. And meanwhile, the Democratic Party will just be the party of college-educated professionals. And the problem with them is that they don't stay in big parts of the country that are demographically rewarded with congressional representation and political influence. Places where, that make up 270 electoral votes and that are where people are, uh, where senators, where two senators can be elected by a couple hundred thousand people. They leave those spots and they go concentrate in already dense urban areas and contribute to already lopsided political victories that mean that their influence over legislation is basically non-existent. Those people in the middle, those are the people who are left over. Those are the older folks. Those are the ones who didn't go to college or came back from college and said it was a bunch of dumb bullshit and didn't go off to seek their fortune in the big city. And they will just be Republicans. And that means you will not even be able to get to 270. In a, it doesn't matter how many votes you win by in the, in the popular vote. You'll never get another fucking uh, electoral vote victory. And you'll never be able to change, uh, the, get rid of the electoral college either. And the response will only be to double down on identity because that's all that exists. And it'll all exist for Republicans too. It's a mirror image thing. Like they will be doubling down on identity. Like all during the Trump administration, people have been complaining about how the Democrats and leftists in general are talking about identity too much. So was Trump to a different group of people. And the issue is, is that for the non-college educated, uh, when you talk about those issues, it redounds to the benefit of the don't be a pussy party because don't be a pussy is a more visceral and understandable reaction to this kind of stuff because you have not learned the undergirding ideas. And in fact, a lot of these people say you should never have to tell anybody those because it's not their job to ed educate you, meaning that you're guaranteed to hear this shit, have it bounce off of you and say, yeah, these guys should shut the fuck up. So... I mean, that is, that's a bad, that's a bad case. And it, and it undermines hilariously the only case you could have made for Biden, which was harm mitigation, right? You can't make an ideological case for voting for Biden that he's going to make anything better. Uh, and you can't, uh, and in his case, you couldn't even have made a harm reduction argument, in my opinion. But of course, the harm reduction argument was in the process, it was in the assumption of, well, we're going to take all these voters in this crisis election and they're all going to vote for Democrats and we're going to get a blue wave that gives us the Senate, and yeah, we have the filibuster, but hey, we'll be able to get rid of the filibuster, and I know we don't think it's going to happen, but it could, and just the prospect of that fills them with this idea that there's possibility, and they convince themselves that that's what they're voting for when they vote for Biden. What they get is the result of this party presiding over these conditions, which is uh, college-educated people basically being guilted by the TV and, and like their fellow college-educated people into getting rid of the, the, the bad orange rude man, many of them, if they're wealthy enough, sticking to voting Republican down ticket because they're still class conscious along those lines and they know that their interests are in low taxes since that's basically what the government does. Low high taxes, what else does it do? That's kind of it. 
because everything else has been pushed off the fucking table as a possibility, as, as an intervention that the, uh, that the government can do into the market. And they're either going to be doubling down on that cultural shift or say, well, Trump's, Trump's gone. Now I've normalized Trump, so nothing's going to shock me anymore, and I'll just vote Republican again. You'll have those uh, you know, younger, ideologically committed Democrats who are either, you know, class traders, liberal class traders who think that they're on the side of the, of the downtrodden, even though the Democratic Party is a capitalist party as integral to the maintenance of capitalism and its exploitative system as the Republicans are, but they don't think of it that way. They think they're the party of the downtrodden because they're the party of minority views and, I, uh, and uh, you know, uh, 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 the, the uh, yeah, minority rights against the oppressive majority. Like, that's what left means. It doesn't have anything to do with distribution because, once again, distribution is not on the menu. But those people will be concentrated in these fucking cities. And that means they'll never be able to exercise power over the federal government, which means as, as capitalism gets more savage and extractive and, and social cohesion and social uh, obedience are undermined, the techno-surveillance uh, machinery of, 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 uh, of control will be instituted by the Republican Party, essentially. They, which means it probably be, will be ha have like explicit racial character to it. Now, say the Democrats win, though. Like, this is the real grim shit, is that say you break out of that somehow without under... I don't think you could, but if you could break out of that somehow without changing the undermining, undergirding reality that the Democrats are not a working party, they are a, a workers' party, they're a capitalist party, uh, if you could somehow get them to uh, uh, winning, get them to power in, in, a, in an event of a crisis, all you're going to do is, 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 uh, is the cliche joke about, uh, you know, rainbow-painted, uh, nose-cone predator drones. It will be, it, the, the violence will be maybe more, dis less dis distributed by explicit racial categories, but it will be as oppressive and stratified along uh, uh, class. So, like, there's not even really a harm reduction case for Trump because that's they're all it all ends badly because say they somehow parlay a, a bad Trump response in the second term to COVID too, like people just kind of shrugging their shoulders, and be like, things are so bad and these are the only options. I guess we'll give them a shot, and then they will just be presiding over catastrophe from the point of view of stabilizing capitalism at the expense of us, like Chuck Schumer saying, people are killing themselves because we're evicting them, let's give cops the power to detain them if they show evidence that they want to self-harm. That will be the democratic response to crisis, instead of, you know, build a wall and, and, and lock up these, these, uh, these immigrant children, it'll be a, like a little drone buzzing over your head that'll blow your brains out if you, uh, if you frown too many times. But there will be the same essential machine for the same essential uh, purpose. Pulling the last fucking marrow out of the bones of the system before it collapses. Now, once again, this is long, long time frames, but if we're talking about a political party and like the, the, the relationship between political power to parties over time in presidential elections, we're talking long time scales. And we all know that the time scales geologically and ecologically are getting narrower. I'm not saying in anyone's lifetime, even with those listening to this, but in, in, in generations, this will be the trajectory either way. And as I have said, that cannot be changed from within itself because of how it's structured. 
because uh, because there is no class politics that is going to be able to inject itself into the overall dynamic between Democrats and Republicans. Because as I have said, uh, the we have now reached a point where the, the end result of the Democrats no longer being the party of material advancement for the working class or the downtrodden or whatever. For, for, for 40 years, the Democrats ran this country, basically, uninterrupted, even with Eisenhower and Nixon in charge. The Democrats ran this country because they went every two years out and said, we're the party of a bigger paycheck. After the 70s, they could never do that again. Not in real sense. Not with any kind of conviction behind it, either in policies or in people's memory of their ability to, to, to deliver on those promises. So they've had to find something else to stand in for the party of the downtrodden. And because their new constituency was college-educated people who have absorbed ideas about the character of alienation and oppression in this country that have nothing to do with class and everything to do with discrimination along identity axis, that narrative is now the accepted idea of what it means to be a, a party of the, of the little guy. It's to defend them against unjust, uh, 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 unjust, uh, an unjust oppression that prevents one from fully participating in the market. Like that's the real crime of racism and sexism and all other of the patriarchal boogeymen is not any kind of, of violence against human dignity so much as violence against the ability of a human to engage in market relationships the way it, uh, like everyone else does for one's for one's own personal pleasure seeking as the homo economicus libertarian automaton that we're all supposed to be And the reason the Democrats, I think, are doomed in this dynamic no matter what is that over time, as politics gets louder and louder to deal with the fact that things are going to get worse and worse, there's not going to be a big influx of these college-educated people into the electorate. They're already there. They're baked in. What's going to happen is you're going to have like what happened in 2020, which is an investment by depoliticized, socially reactionary working people because they have not absorbed the, the manner system that they got in college. And they're going to see the options we have, and they're going to become Republicans. And that means that you will have this situation where the demographic advantage of the Democrats along all axes, except racial, in the case of black people, but even along income, is going to go away. A big chunk of the people are just still not going to be voting at all. They will be deeper into despair. But those who do vote are going to vote with more anger, and it's going to be directed uh, against, against the people who want them to keep their voice down, even though everything is terrible. I think a good example of the dynamic going forward is, uh, does anyone know the name, uh, what's their name? This woman who was elected in an, up, in a land, in an upset uh, in the Congress, this name Lauren Bobbert, the one who owns Shooter's Grill, the QAnon lady, in Rifle, Colorado. Uh, her her story is interesting because uh, she has the story of someone who historically would be a Democrat. She was born in Florida when she was 12. She moved to Denver. She said that he, she had Democratic parents and she, they lived in poverty. Her mom was on welfare. Uh, she went to Mc, worked at McDonald's and she was 15. She got a GED. She's like a fucking... Uh, uh, 
She got uh, pregnant in high school and dropped out. She did, she got her GED this year, like a real American like striver. Uh, and that background, according to everything we've absorbed, is supposed to make you, you know, a, a Democrat. But the reason it isn't is because she's white. And so it's like, well, yeah, but she's racist. So therefore, of course, she's a Republican. But the problem is, uh, nobody is just racist for no reason. That's, I know that's what we've been told. The 1619 Project and Tiny, Tiny House's Coats have told us that racism is this intrinsic thing to American life. It's a stain. And I would say, like, race distinction is, but racism as in an operating principle that guides your behavior is not. I'm sorry. And I know you're going to say yes, but at the subatomic level, it's there every moment. It's like, yes, it is. But I also think that when it's at that level, its manifestation isn't really noticeable, isn't worth freaking out about, isn't a thing that you should be tearing your flesh over out about. I'm sorry. She's racist for some reasons, but look at her life. You know, we're supposed to use mitigating circumstances when considering people who do bad things. Like she had a shitty life. She blames people for it. Why is she blaming black people instead of uh, if she's racist? I mean, who, maybe she isn't racist. I don't even know. One way, maybe she does just blame elites for why things are bad. But why does she think that it's Democrats? Why does she think Republicans aren't elites? It's because the only thing she's ever known about this party is that it's about this set of, uh, of ostentatious displays of concern for other people. And that you're supposed to not want anything for yourself. Which is, of course, what upper middle class polite liberals see politics as. But somebody whose life has been like bad, somebody who's struggled, somebody who's been in poverty... They're not necessarily worried about how empathic they look to other people because they're trying to fucking survive. And liberals and Democrats don't seem to care about them. So I know that sounds like, oh, he's justifying racism. Oh, my God. Once again, I wouldn't vote for her. She shouldn't be in charge. But if we're talking about people in general, these things carry out over time. And if you take this Bobbert woman and you look at her background... And you compare her to someone like AOC, and it's like, oh, she's like AOC. AOC also struggled. AOC also worked. She was a bartender. It's like, yeah, but she was also a congressional aide, and she went to fucking Boston College, majored in political science. This is a person who has received the etiquette lessons that you're supposed to. And it's like, la, this Bronx Latina, look, she's a good socialist. Yeah, because she went to fucking college. And... If the question is, is the future going to be sorting the party into the part into the party, sorting people as they come into politics while things are getting worse and worse into the Democrats or Republicans to fight over it? And it's AOC versus this Bobbert woman. Considering how shitty everything is, there's a lot more people in this country who are going to be in her, Bobbert's position than in AOC's. That are going to have the chance to go to college and get a four year fucking degree in some uh, in political science. So some people are like, why does he keep talking about college like this? The, the, there's plenty of non-college educated people in the Democratic Party, and there's tons of uh, college educated Republicans. Of course there is. The reason I'm talking about college is because when we're talking about the electorate in general, we're divided into these demographic groups and then try to analyze their voting behavior, and we put those on top of one another, and it gives us a sense of like what people are the politically engaged people in this country anyway, what they are politically, what they view, how they view things. And, 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 and how like, uh, the experience of being an American is, is, is absorbed. And those are all things that people do feel about. Or those all are ways that people absorb 
um, things like college education, things like race, age, uh, gender, those things, uh, income, all do. Uh, but the problem is, is in America, because we've got, thanks to our ability to spread broadly, or more broadly than historically has been the case, um, our lucre, after World War II, we created this thing that was kind of non-existent before called the middle class. This lumpen, lo small bourgeois in America, or at least it became lumpen as we got suburbanized and atomized, thanks to media and, and geographic uh, sorting. Uh, What was I talking about? Yeah, our, so our lumpen middle class, the one, uh, they are the ones who vote, generally. So, like, this is the electorate. It's one of the things that always made fascism, like, the question about fascism sort of interesting, because, like, fascism emerged in the 20s and 30s as a way to counter working-class political mobilization, and they did it by, essentially, mobilizing the lumpen bourgeois, the lumpen lower classes in Germany and Italy. The thing is, in America, there is no left-wing movement among the working class. The working class is politically inert. So it's all an intra-middle-class movement. Like, people say, oh, all these young men are turning into Proud Boys. Like, well, yeah, but it's, they're, not, they're not emerging to conflict with a working-class, class-wide conflict. It's just another, it's a show-off with other college kids. It's other middle-class strata kids. And the reason I think uh, college is so important as the one demographic descriptor, not only because we're seeing things pull towards college very dramatically over the last couple of elections, but because of all those markers we're talking about, college attainment, uh, gender, race, uh, the only one of these that really gets, even, even income, even income, I would say, the only, one that's, the only one, the one of these that gets closest to actually pegging someone towards class as it's lived in America is... Uh, college. Because the thing about class in America is that even though our lives are totally determined by our class, class is not a lived experience because we are not conscious of ourselves for the most part. Some people are, but the vast majority are not. We do not walk around conscious of ourselves as members of a class. We are much more conscious of ourselves as those other things, man, uh, gender and, and, and racial. Uh, but college... Having gone to college marks you as having gone through a essentially an ideological car wash. And most importantly, that because basically a ton of working class people's kids went to college after World War II and came out uh, with professional jobs and, and moved from the working class to this, uh, to this middle class, this lumpen lower bourgeois, uh, that means that a lot of people grew up in middle-class homes means they went, their parents went to college, which means they absorbed college from their parents, and then they went to college, and then they came out, having gone through the ideological car wash. And, uh, and that means that they are somewhere in this middle class. Like, there are some who are going to jump way up, and, like, the, the rich, of course, send their kids to college, but also they're demographically irrelevant. But, you know, some people jump up in income from before they, before what, what they grew up from. Uh, some people do rise from the working class to go to college. They are the minority, but they do. And then some of them go off to be very wealthy. Uh, some have significant uh, collapse. In fact, the whole generation of these millennials is all kind of nosedived. But they have nosedived back to sort of being in, 
like a uh, income or even working uh, class relationship that is similar to people who didn't go to college, but having gone to college. And the reason that's important is because the experience of going to college uh, creates your conception of yourself as a political subject. Either because you went yourself, your parents did, instilled those things in you, and then you didn't go because you didn't like them, or your uh, or if you didn't go to college, you absorb culture because everything that is made to be consumed uh, in the media is made by and for people to go who went to college because they are professional, uh, because uh, uh, art is a professional endeavor now. And professional credentials are required for professional endeavors or were at least traditionally in, in, uh, in our system now. And that though, and that so... Artists are overwhelmingly uh, going to be people who went to college. And from the point of view of commerce, people who went to college, since they make up this middle class, these are the, this is the group of people who are most numerous and have the most money. Because the poor, there's a lot of them, but they don't have any money. And also, how do you even talk to them since there's very few poor people who make art that is seen by the masses? And the rich who, yes, they can be owning all these things and they can have their kids, like, you know, become actors because they're bored. But, you know... Bill Gates can only see Aquaman how many so many times by himself, even if it doesn't cost him a lot of his fortune to go see the movie. You need a lot of people watching movies. You need a lot of people exposing themselves to advertising. You need a lot of people watching these shows. So it's all pitched to the middle class. So they're absorbing all these mores too. Uh, but the experience of... So everyone had, it, who is politically active, is what I'm saying, is, is that way because of their exposure to the psychological regimen, to the value system... That is created by college. This is what Moldbug called the cathedral. And it's real. It's real. Uh, but the thing is, is that it's assumed that this thing exists to make people Democrats. And while it is true that that is the intention, I would think, of the majority of the people who make up the collegiate structure, uh, that is not the full purpose. It, it, cre it creates political subjects. It creates people who see themselves politically. And... Now, the people within it want to create Democrats, but because the experience of college is not, you know, it's not a factory, it's a bunch of individuals going into it, all of them with individual life experiences, individual backgrounds, individual personal uh, lived uh, standpoints, whatever the fuck, however you want to put it, and that means that they're going to respond to these things in unpredictable ways. So that while college in this cathedral makes Democrats on purpose, it also by accident makes almost as many Republicans. Because they go to college, or they have absorbed college in their media, have go, grow to detest those values, and then decide to hold the other values, the asshole values. Because what you learn in college is the don't be a pussy worldview, which is cosmopolitan, which is uh, worldly, which assumes in equality of all individuals, uh, the equality of rights of all people. Uh, and, and, and the necessity to create some sort of social justice. Like, that is really it. Um, and a lot of people absorb those views and think, yes, that's good. A lot of people, uh, and, and I think that broadly those are correct in abstract. The problem is, is that they are not, uh, as they're encountered in college and in the culture produced by college, they are turned into this brittle, 
list of uh, personal virtues that are expressed through concern, not through actual policies that are going to help anybody. Like that's the key part about this is that this 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 soul washer that we built to send people through and have them come out uh, valuing you know diversity and all these things uh, is in a system where you're literally telling them at the same time that you're telling them that uh, there's oppressed people in the world uh, and that uh, you know it's the duty to make things better for everybody. You're telling them that communism cannot work, that uh, that in competition and uh, is an ira- and uh, is competition is like the, the, the essence of human experience, that, uh, that the economy is a uh, system produced to create like maximal value through uh, people seeking s- their self-interest in the marketplace. And on top of that, uh, but, and so, but in that system, in this system that is immutable, because remember, we're not teaching you any Marxism. Like, that's the big joke about right-wingers is that there's a bunch of Marxists in the academy. Marxists have been purged from the academy for decades. Marx is not taught as a serious option. Marx is taught as a historical curio and a dead end that didn't take into consideration such intersecting issues as patriarchy and racism and blah, blah, blah. And that means that when you absorb this stuff, you're not just absorbing equality, you're absorbing that the only problem that is caused by inequality is personal manners, is people being mean to one another. It's not systemic re uh, of the social uh, exploitation because that's not the thing. Remember, society is not a, a system for exploiting. The, side of, the society is not the haves sucking the fucking life force uh, and species being out of the, the, the have-nots exploiting those with only their labor to sell uh, to by vampire-like sucking their surplus. No, no, no. It's equal exchange of, of, uh, of desires across the, the equal marketplace. Uh, and if, there's, if black people are, or immigrants are disadvantaged or women, it's because people are mean and we're going to make them nice. And that that's not a viable answer. And people, you either ignore that fact because you're caught up in like the drama of either having experienced those oppressions and wanting to see them corrected or being if you haven't feeling guilty that they're being done on your behalf and one either way you have an emotional investment if you don't have an emotional investment like say you're a white male you're more likely to go uh yeah maybe the they're they're just less maybe they're just not as good like if this is all uh if this is an open contest and they're behind maybe it's because they're shitty like if this is a race it's like oh they're, they're being held back but it's like i'm not holding them back I'm seeing them advance, like they're all over the place, and yet they're not cutting the mustard. There's no answer for that other than, uh, no, it's because you're racist. That's why they're doing it. It's, it's circular. It cannot, it cannot get towards actual justice. Uh, and so this machine creates these numbers of these well-intentioned liberals who think they're being nice people, even though they're really doing is taking a bunch of uh, excuses to be mean to other people and to hate other people, to displace their anxiety about being at the top of an economic rung or whatever. They want to punish them, and so they inscribe their hatred upon, you know, knuckle-dragging Neanderthals, men being trash, and then they, they decide to, to, you know, hate them. Uh, and then, or you join the, the team of assholes and be like, it's these whiny pussies and these fucking uh, lazy minorities they're covering for. So, the way this works, basically, is that 
America has this weird middle class that's not distinct in its relationship to the means of production. It contains, it's people who coined the term professional managerial class. I prefer lumpen petit bourgeois because it's a very specific American flavor of this where it has never gathered together into any self-conscious thing because class was being abolished when it was being created as a concept that was lived by suburbanization and mass culture. And so no one has ever thought of themselves as a class the way that like the small bourgeois maybe did in Germany. And so uh, they have to be uh, turned into aware of of their uh, place. Because the thing about these people in the middle class is that the broad middle class, the reason that it's such a weird category and it's such a liminal space is that they are not, as the working class are, purely exploited by the system. And they are not, as the ruling class are, pure beneficiaries of the, of the extractive system. They are both largely victims and perpetrators. They might have employees uh, people that they hire on like a freelance basis or even as direct employees. They might, uh, they, they're members of professionals, they're managers of other employees. That's a big part of it is management. Like you have people who you could fire, but someone could fire you. It is a liminal, it's a spot between. And this has always existed in every society, but in America, we've been able, because of the post-war boom and everything, we created this huge explosion of these things. And it created the need to create things like the bullshit jobs David Graeber talks about because people had to have something to do. My God, we've got too much free time here. We've got too much free time, and we can't just have people sitting around. They're going to get ideas. So everybody has to get busy becoming managers and, and, uh, and, and consultants and all this horseshit. And then their kids live these lives where their parents are, and them are the experience of plenty, boom and bust, you know, lean years and fat years. Uh, and, and, you know, the good and the bad side of being in this middle spot in the capitalist pecking order. Uh, but they're not, nonetheless, they are, the, they are being exploited and therefore they suffer alienation, as the working class do. And uh, that, working, that alienation at some point turns into, or can turn into, depending on how you experience it, can turn into something called class consciousness, where you're like, oh... These are not discrete symptoms of displeasure in my life. These are all epiphenomenal to a single daily, moment-by-moment moment, attack on my spirit and soul, which is that I have been denuded of my fucking species being at a, like a basic level, control over my time on Earth by, by, by unrequested, uh, my necessary, my... my, uh, my my cursed, like my, I'm like I am as, as a serf was bound to the wage relationship, and for many people that never occurs. And in the 19th century, like the 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 working class, as Marx saw coming together, and then was ratified to see come together later, uh, the the collective experience of coming to a city, living in a in a district of workers, and doing the same job with other people. Just the, the mere social exchange within that relationship produces a resonance of experience between people, a checking of notes that finds one answer. And then that is class consciousness. There is no mechanism to create that in America now. It was broken by the prosperity, really, of the post-New Deal era. So the, but the, so the people who are now were being born to the boomers and to the Xers, they emerge into a world that has been denatured of any kind of real class consciousness. And they find themselves in this, for the most part, these middle class people, in this liminal spot between the two. Uh, and so they might never 
put this in a, a class context, or more specifically in a political context, they might not ever think, oh, these things can be addressed by a uh, political project. That's what, now, if you grow up around middle class people, that's basically impossible. Like, as a kid, you learn these are political concerns. This is a political world. Your parents have political views. So you know the things that are good. Now, it, it, this is probably all a bunch of uh, cultural epiphenomenal bullshit, like, you know, uh, uh, abortion or, or uh, if you're, like, the anti-abortion movement, you know, like, all these people in the 70s, they're terrified of the fact that people, that the, that the working, that the, uh, that the nuclear family was being pulled apart when it was being pulled apart by the fact that you couldn't have a uh, fucking nuclear family anymore. You couldn't afford it. But we're going to put it on the blame of women wanting to be able to control their reproduction because they now have to engage in the wage relationship. Forget that. It's going to be abortion. So, like, even though abortion is a real issue that has real consequences, the reason people are mad about it, the reason it's a political football, is because they have a false conception of what it means. What they're really mad about is something driven by the economic system that undergirds it. But they can't see that because they do not have a fully formed political consciousness. College is where people take those generalized feelings of anxiety about society they might have as a young and idealistic person, especially if they are going to college, they think we're going to learn something about the world. And it's where they're given a form because in college is when most people encounter for the first time concepts like communism, socialism, the wage relationship, you know, economics, that kind of stuff. And that is where they are then able to emerge and go, oh, oh shit, damn, there's this whole thing about the economy and how that structure stuff, wow. Now, of course, college then informs you as soon as it informs you that, yeah, you know, these things are real. And also, you know, the country you came from, it had a lot of violence in it and it's had a lot of exploitation in its history. And, you know, there's been a lot of pain and bloodshed and you feel very shocked about that. And if you're white, you might start feeling guilty about it. But then with the next breath, you, any, any idea that there's like a new frontier for uh, uh, like uh, changing that at a fundamental level is foreclosed. And you are left having to deal with those epiphenomenon if you want to feel like a good person. Uh, because there's two ways you can learn about something like your class and what it means to be in a class relationship. Through experience and through uh, uh, instruction. And middle class in America, until recently, and now the ones who are out of college are the first to not experience that since the post-war era. Uh, those middle class people aren't experiencing it because while they are exploited, it's masked. Their exploitation is masked by the fact that they're relatively well off and they put it off onto other things. So that it's almost impossible for middle class people to get a lived experience without the intervention of instruction on what it means to be in a class. Poor people have a... But the thing is, is that while they have the lived experience of class exploitation, they don't, in this world that we live in now, have the ability to compare notes the way that working class people used to be able to too. And so that hole gets filled with, you know, whatever is in the culture around them, which ends up being stuff like, you know, Alex Jones a lot of the time or, or other, you know, entertainment products that sort of fill in the void of, of that instruction that is not there if you did not participate in college. So the people in college get this first experience of class consciousness and they process it in two ways, depending on not their income or their family's income or anything. Not if they came from the working class, not if they're in the middle class, not if they're coming down from the mountaintop of wealth and privilege to get an education for some reason, which a lot of them do because what else are you going to do with your time? Uh, 
they can all have different reactions. It's not determined. Uh, the individual response is going to be determined by your individual life experience. Like I, for example, I think the fact that my spinal column just exploded when I was in high school I, and I nearly died and I was in a wheelchair, it basically made it impossible for any reactionary social argument to hold sway with me because no argument that anyone has anything bad coming to them because of like where they were born like what skin they were born into or what social position they were born into will ever hold sway for me because I am more intimately aware than most people in my position of the fundamental and terrifying contingency of life on this fucking planet. The fact that nothing is earned, that everything is, 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 is a uh, random uh, 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 thunderbolt that we have to deal with and that our ability to thrive in life is largely our ability to just avoid through happenstance the calamities that surround us. Other people have different experiences. Maybe you had really annoying hippie parents and, you're, and they're like really mean but also sanctimonious and it like turned you off on the entire thing. Uh, or you had like evangelical psychos and you've decided that conservatism is inherently bad. But you get to college and you learn all these cosmopolitan things. Hey, in case you didn't know, all the other people in the world, they're all equal. They all deserve life on this planet, but many of them are struggling and that's bad and we should do something about it. Now, if you didn't go to college, there's two ways you process that. If you have had likely, and like I said, didn't go to college doesn't necessarily mean poor, but it disproportionately means poor. Uh, and specifically, it means your parents probably didn't go to college, which means they probably make less money than the parents of the people who did go to college. If your parents didn't go to college, if your parents didn't go to college and you worked your way to college, like you took out loans or whatever, you very well could see all this stuff and be like, I made it. Fuck you. And if you get out of college and are successful and you're like driven and that's how you got there and that's how you made it, you might have contempt for the people you know in those conditions who didn't get out. Like J.D. Vance, for example. Or, you know, uh, um, uh, like, uh, uh, lit, uh, you know, a pull up your pants guy, you know. Like, I made it, they didn't, you know? Like, poverty doesn't ennoble the character. Like, poor people, being poor sucks, and it makes people have a hard time empathizing with others sometimes, and it makes it harder for, it makes people mean sometimes. Not everybody, but it makes them mean people. And if you're poor and you're around mean poor people sometimes, you decide, fuck them. Or, and then, then maybe you decide, you see all this stuff, the Democratic rapping, and you're like, fuck this, I'm a Republican. Or... You say, yeah, I, I, I feel a kinship with the, with the suffering of these other people. Once again, this comes down to the personal experiences you had that made you think that way. I'm broadly speaking a Democrat. I might consider myself a left-winger, but I'm a Democrat. And this is where I have to say that these are binary categories. Everybody uh, who went to college uh, or votes, votes consistently along a, a, a political axis or doesn't vote, but because they're making a point about it, is one of these or the other. Because they're very broad, uh, and they reflect the broad di uh, binary dynamic of American politics. They're Democrats and Republicans. A lot of people say, oh, Chapel, you're Democrats. And it's like, I don't like the Democrats. I didn't fight for Joe Biden. I never told anybody to vote for Joe Biden. But broadly speaking, I'm a Democrat. But here's the fucking shock twi plot twist, motherfucker. You are also a Democrat. Everyone listening to this, everyone watching this, I would wager, is a Democrat. Even if you didn't go to college, 
you have absorbed left ideology to the point where you're on that side of the cultural divide. You have the same sort of visceral responses to these cultural signifiers, even if you know they are cultural signifiers. Now, if you go to now wealthier people who go to college, if for one reason or another they don't feel guilty about the fact that they're exploiting other people and that they're the, the that they just suck and a lot of people do they harden their hearts one way or the other or for one reason or another uh, they say no fuck them they should be that way and they're republicans uh, but people who are wealthy and don't who do have like a, a human connection haven't like forsworn that human connection haven't decided to justify themselves they become democrats but of course they become liberal democrats because they're never going to want to get rid of class uh, hierarchy because it benefits them. They are much more likely to decide, you know what, class is always going to be there, but racial discrimination and all these uh, inequalities, we could do something about those. Just so happens they don't really do anything about me except me, except what, I might have to pay higher taxes? At the end of the day, rich people can always afford to pay more fucking taxes. And then you've got the middle class where they experience life and their parents experience life both exploiting and exploiting or or not or their exploitation is not felt as class exploitation and they might come aware of the very idea that they're class exploited in college and be like whoa how do they respond that boils down to whether they decide to feel a a kinship with the working class even if they aren't technically part of it and even and or they are or they decide to disdain the working class and adhere in their heart to capital for specific personal individual reasons. But the thing is, you get these, like, these might be random, these might be a happenstance within an individual, but over large groups of people, they sort into broad categories and broad, broad worldviews that people hold. And so you, you shift these working class, these, these, these college-educated middle-class people into sort of, in their hearts, working-class people, whether they are or aren't, who believe they're part of a project with other working class people to to get rid of all the racism and the bad stuff or maybe if they're more radical you know get rid of uh, capitalism either through the democratic party or defeating it but maybe voting for it strategically sometimes and then you've got the um the ones who decide yeah no my bad my dad uh you know he worked his ass off to become an insurance salesman and yeah his boss rid him but you know he, he uh he wanted to get good work out of him and he got and then he took over the boss ship and i could be the boss someday and those become Republicans. And these things are pulling these two groups to identify along two axes. And a lot of it is about gender, because gender is felt much more closely to one's lived experience than, uh, than class is. Uh, and it's the and it and it's actually structured by our relationship to that college education we got, and like the the language we learn in college is the education is the is the manners of the professional sector, which is in like engagement terms in in social terms it is a feminized space it is a face that rewards uh, politeness that rewards an ability to be socially observant uh, a co uh, cooperation over conflict. And in fact, that's one of the things you really learn in school, is to act like that. That is, and so, women are more likely to find that 
uh, uh, agreeable because they have been conditioned to be like that because of gender expectations. Men are going to be less comfortable with it, so that helps split this atom. This is more. This means that men are more like of all races are more likely to go through that process and come out as Republicans, and women are more likely to come out as Democrats. And then you've got the men who identify as uh, you know with that working class, with those oppressed people, they're more likely, they're going to be male feminists, they're going to be, they're still going to be Democrats, and then women who are like, feminism is stupid, are going to follow the men to the Republican side. But the leading gender, like, split is in that direction. So, in all cases, like, it's going to have people of every group, but I'm talking the the polls, where the, where the things demographically aggregate into parties that are going to then vote and determine the outcome of the fucking political system. And so uh, what this means is, is that over time, uh, these working class people who have not gone through that process of coming into like full awareness of the, of the virtue of this specific uh, cultural uh, uh, etiquette are going to be brought into politics by the trauma of the moment, offered a choice between, you know, vigorous... Uh, 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 resistance of uh, of formalized nicety uh, and a series of elaborate social uh, demands, uh, kabuki uh, uh, abnegations that have no goal, that have no uh, benefit, because that is the key point to all of this. This is the thing that's going to drive the Democratic Party into oblivion, uh, is that all of this stuff, while self-evident, the, the virtue of which is self-evident to people who went to college and adhered to the democratic worldview, the people who said yes to all those things about inclusivity and yes to all those things about privilege and yes to all those things about the need for diversity and voices being heard and all that. Uh, it all makes sense to them, and the way that it relates to human uh, flourishing makes sense. But if you have not encountered it at all, for, let alone rejected it, you hadn't even had the chance, or, which is a lot, this is a lot of chances, you would reject it through... Uh, viewing it through the culture and the media and saying it's sanctimonious bullshit because you have not been absorbed into it. When you see it, all you see is a demand to be quiet. All you see is a demand to be nice. All you see is a demand on you to behave a certain way for no benefit to you. The benefit of someone else and why you're supposed to care about them. You could get there and you could even get to a point where, hey, helping them helps me if you go through like a whole political awakening but Americans aren't doing that if they're being asked to fucking fill in a form every four years. They're going to see the thing in front of them and they're going to be respect, respond to something that if they went to college and said, fuck this, uh, or they didn't, they saw it in the culture and said, fuck this, are going to say, fuck this. So, the upshot of this to me is that any question about how to politically engage with this perpetual doomsday machine that we've created between the two parties, this dance of death, this tumble off Reichenbach Falls between the two political parties, cannot be done through the Democratic Party. Cannot be done through the, through the device of the Democratic Party. Because the Democratic Party is, in my opinion, fully and completely the party of pussies.
It is the party of manners and politeness to anyone outside of the, the, the educational matrix responding just to its cultural uh, uh, expressions and its political expressions. It is just the party of keeping your voice down. And that means that anyone within it trying to reach people outside of that bubble will be received the same way, even if they're socialist, even if they're, they're saying Medicare for all in full throat. Because they're not all that is going to be heard is that through the fucking filter of all the other bullshit that the Democratic Party actually, in a day-to-day -day basis, represents to these people, which is unpleasant interactions with unpleasant liberals, both online, in the real world, and on television, and in the fucking uh, movies. If there will be a, a democratic expression of working class challenge to the coming neoliberal austerity hell, it will come in the form of a new party, not a break away from the Democratic Party, but a party that emerges from labor action, the actual coordination of people in their place of work, where those people doing that work come to organization, the same way they did in the fucking 20s and 30s. The same way they did in the fucking 1870s when Pinkertons were shooting them. And in so doing that, they will, because they live in the United States, and because even if you are not part of the college, uh, you know, uh, uh, etiquette lesson uh, people, even if you have not absorbed the values of going and voting, because that's the important thing here is that uh, is that you say, like, well, what about... Uh, uh, what about all these Dem to Trump? What about all these Trump to Dem uh, white people? Aren't they Republicans? Didn't they say fuck the pussies? It's like, yes, they did. But the thing you're getting from college isn't just the content of the cosmopolitan worldview. It's the container, which is objective reality, which is norms and institutions, which is the Constitution means something and the presidency has meaning and voting has a worth. That's why you do it. And that means that when Trump shows up and does his clown show for four years, even if you are not really that uh, attached to the fucking uh, Democratic Party, even if you are, as a you know, Republican, adhered towards a policy of keeping your taxes low uh, at all costs, you very well might decide, okay, this is too far, especially when the op other option is Joe Biden. That's why people are mad at the, Biden, that the, that the, uh, the Democrats for doing what they did and hitting them, pitching themselves to suburban Republicans. I'm sorry, but it was their only play because the Democratic Party, unless Bernie had been the nominee, and even then, I wonder, would have been able to break through that. And so the only voters they could realistically get were them. Now, what they didn't anticipate is that a bunch of these working class people would now come into the electoral process and say, fuck you pussies. That's, what, that's why they're owned. But their general strategy was the only one they could have pursued because this is not something that is chosen. This is something that is predicated by the algorithm of the party and by its now, its, 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 its demographics. So those, those uh, Trump to uh, Biden voters you know, they, they never bought into all the fucking stuff about uh, lived experience and, and, and uh, reparations and shit like that. I mean, that's why they voted down-ticket Republican. But they do think that Trump is a bad president and an erratic president and therefore should probably get out of there and get a nice, quiet guy who's not going to get everybody riled up all the time.
So, anything in the Democratic pile, wood pile, anything coming out of the Democratic branding is going to be buying for those people. And they don't know it. That's the thing. The people who are even doing this, like the people on the left of the Democratic Party who are imagining some AOC-led insurgency, they are not even aware that their project is stillborn because they think, no, we'll reach out. We'll reach out to these people. And it's like, yeah, you will, but they're just going to see some bullshit. They're going to see AOC. They're going to hear, when you say Medicare for all and free college, they're going to hear fucking Charlie Brown's mom. But then when you say intersectionality and, uh, and kids in cages, they're going to roll their eyes. That's what's going to happen. Because this is not being done in the Democratic Party, the people in the Democratic Party, the people who vote in the Democratic Party, they are not operating on be, for uh, they're not operating as an expression of working class interest. They're working on what they perceive to be behalf of working class interests. They are they are stooping to they are condescending inherently because even if they are, you know, they are struggling themselves, they're struggling in a context where they assume they're part of a, of, a, of a middle class by virtue of their education. And they're not connected culturally to those people. They just aren't. And that means that nothing within the, the Democratic Party is, I think, real, realistically going to blow out and grow out and, and increase the share of, of those uh, working class voters. It's going to get some of them but I think the, 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 it will not change the uh, drift because this is all about big numbers and about drift over time. It's not going to change the trajectory. What might happen is that working people might realize that they can fucking organize their workplaces, the ones who still have workplaces, and then because they live in America and they know that this is a political country and they've realized, oh shit, voting, yeah, that's the next step. Because they're not going to go to revolution, I'm sorry. Nobody's going to skip this. If you're like, hey, maybe I can do politics, and there's an option of voting and maybe doing things without having to get your head cracked open, most people are going to take it. So just yelling at them that it's not going to work and that you're being sheep-dipped into electoralism isn't going to work. Because everyone's going to take the ballot over having to fucking shoot somebody or get shot. Because they don't have any assumption it's going to work. They have not been conditioned as the people who believe in that, those vanguard partyists. They have not been conditioned to believe that. They have not come around to the realization that electoralism is useless. They have to come to that realization. So they're going to try. Sorry. And that means they're going to build a party. And it's going to have people who are, like went to college in it, but not coming down from above as organizers. Maybe media figures might inspire. Not me, for Christ's sake. Not nearly famous enough. But maybe somewhere down the line, somebody in a, like will uh, run some sort of third-party insurgent campaign that galvanizes people. Uh, and and like a party will emerge semi-spontaneously from the working class. It will not be a spontaneous, like, anarchist organization it will be structured as a leninist party should be i think and it would come from the intersection between a working class and like an emergent party uh activist base organically now i'm not saying that will happen and i would in fact still say it is highly unlikely that it even gets off the ground let alone has any chance of successfully challenging for power i do think though that if there is going to be something that emerges from those grassroots I talked about the other day, that's the form it will take. It will have to be a new party. An explicit working class party that does not emerge from some split with the Democrats and is not constituated at the top level by Democratic operatives or Democratic politicians.
So, is that still, I guess, is that black pill? Is that brown pill? I've at least expressed, you know, a possibility. Um, but, you know, a lot of people who hear third party, their assistance, their sphincter wraps up, and mine did too. Like, that's one of the big reasons I kind of rolled my eyes at people who got mad at Bernie for not running third party. It's like, this system is designed for two parties. It's, it, it cannot be broken. The, the Constitution itself necessitates it. Uh, and so I said, forget about it. But there is a historical precedent that might give some hope that things might be a little different. And that would be, hilariously enough, the Republican Party. Now, the Republican Party emerged not from the uh, breakup of the Whigs. And that's one thing that we're not going to have uh, on our favor. I don't think the Democrats are going to break up anytime soon. Uh, but the Whigs broke up because the Whigs, like the Democrats, for years were a party that was brought, that was uh, broadly uh, national, although there were far fewer Whigs in the South than there were in the North, but there were Whigs in the South. Uh, whereas the Democrats were more pr uh, numerous in both places because while well, they made up the, the gentry and the uh, labor and the white uh, peasantry of the South, they made up the urban working class of the North as well. Uh, whereas like the smallholders were generally, the smallholding, uh, like craftsmen uh, in, were split between the parties. Uh, and, and, and the... Uh, Whigs were largely the party of work, the emergent middle class, the emergent classes in the cities, the people who worked in the uh, the new like proto capitalism uh, and uh, you know staffing things, the, the rude mechanics and and or not mechanics were were uh, were actual laborers, but uh, mudsills I guess they would call them, like clerks, the kind of people that the southern aristocrats despised. That that was the Whig party. And the Whigs and the Democrats. Both had a policy for years of just ignoring the sectional question of slavery because they were, didn't want it to lead to a fucking civil war. Uh, and that was okay because it wasn't a salient issue to people. And the Democratic Party in the North was largely bereft of anti-slavery sentiment for a long time because for Northern workers um, and, and Northern farmers... Slavery was a material issue. It was, they didn't really care one way or the other because it wasn't happening there or to them. Uh, and since that was the case, they really just wanted abolitionists to shut up about it so that it didn't fucking lead to a war they didn't want to fight. Um, in the middle class, op there was opposition to slavery uh, which made the Whigs like a less pro-slavery party than the Democrats were because it had this uh, middle-class base that, was, that objected to slavery on ideological grounds. Slavery was bad because it was the enslavement of people. And that drove the conflict for a long time. But then, with first uh, annexation of Texas and then bleeding Kansas and uh, uh, the question of slavery and its expansion became material to the workers of the North because everyone sort of understood at a basic level that, as Lincoln said, the highest divided against itself could not stand and that if the sectional tiebreak was ever broken in the favor of slavery, it, meant, it would mean that slavery would become uh, uh, 
uh, it would uh, be across the entire country. It would be brought into the North. Just as the South was certain that if the uh, deadlock in the government broke the other way, which it did in 1860 and caused the secession, that, they, that slavery would be done away with. They were both certain of this. And so once the, uh, the balance got threatened by the question of Kansas, the issue of slavery became material to the working class of the North. And they said, fuck, I don't want to compete with, with unfree labor. And so that led to uh, pressure within the parties. And the first to crack was the Whigs, because the Whigs were, because they were more middle class, more ideologically opposed to slavery, which means their ire on the question got hot, hotter, faster, and meant that the uh, ability of the Whig leadership to hold together the sections became uh, uh, attenuated. And so, in the early 18, uh, 1850s, it, uh, it broke up, and the Republicans emerged as a, essentially the Whig Party's platform, but explicitly anti-slavery. And it was originally staffed mostly with former Whigs. And it competed in the 1856 election for the first time. Uh, and because it was a new party, uh, it went for star power with its nominee. They nominated John C. Fremont, the Pathfinder, who was a very famous explorer and freebooter who had done, uh, like, uh, I think, he, he explored, I think, like Colorado. And uh, so he was essentially a celebrity. And third parties love celebrities because they need to get their foot in the door with people. And they actually ran in that race against James Buchanan and against Millard Fillmore representing the know-nothings, who represented a different breakaway from the, from the Whigs uh, of people who were pissed off about slavery, but even more than that, were pissed off about the very existence of the Democratic Party and decided that instead of going against the, uh, <coughs> the slave power, that ran the Democrats, they would go against the northern expression of democratic power, which was Catholic immigrants. Uh, and within four years, though, they were gone, and the Republican Party was the party in the north uh, because the issue of slavery had become completely salient to everybody, both workers and uh uh, 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 middle-class people. And, even, and, and the Democrats broke up in 1860, and a big chunk of uh, Democrats in the North still voted for uh, the Northern Democratic choice, Stephen Douglas. There was a good uh, Democrat, uh, switch to the Democrats, or I mean, switch from Republicans to Democrats, but uh, Lincoln mostly won with the ex-Whig strongholds. And then was able to take advantage of, you know, Douglas's uh, not being able to get any Southern uh, electoral votes. So that, you know, that could happen. And what happened during the war is that you have this fusion of the Whig, the Republican, uh, like, middle-class opposition to slavery, which was ideological, and then the working class, whose opposition to slavery had been this felt material threat, the idea of having to compete with slave labor. Uh, the, the, the very process of fighting the war and defeating slavery brought them to sort of a synthesis. And by the end of the war, there was a broad understanding, even among, you know, the largely racist working class of the North, that slavery was an evil. It wasn't just a threat to free labor. It was an inherent evil of itself and that it needed to be stamped out. The tragedy of Reconstruction, the reason it failed, is because 
<clears throat> rather than the, because these Republicans who at the leadership position were uh, the Democrats of their day in that they were middle-class people or wealthier <coughs> who had absorbed middle-class values, not through college necessarily, although a lot of them had, but just through the drawing room propriety of life in these you know, well-heeled urban areas. And their opposition to slavery was always that of the, um, of the esthete. And that means that they did not connect it to a deeper issue the way that like a working class person could connect to the deeper issue and connect slavery to the concept of wage slavery, of connect like compelled labor to his, his life of, of uh, exploited labor. Uh, and so when the war ended, capitalism in the South did not end. The, the plantations went back. Uh, uh, the cotton got extracted again. The, sla the, the former slaves were, were rehired. Uh, uh, and, and the poor Southerners were forced to pick up the pieces while the uh, planter class was reestablished because these, uh, these former Whigs didn't really have any interest in transforming the means of production and, and, and heightening you know, the, the conflict with capitalism the way that like, the German idealists like my boy August Willich and Joseph Wiedemeyer hoped it would. And that possibility, that, that moment we had after the Civil War of like a, 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 a coalition of, uh, of this militant uh, working class, these people who'd fought the war to end slavery, the former slaves themselves, and maybe even the fucking former uh, you know, white uh, smallholders, the fucking dirt farmers of the South who'd had nothing their entire lives, could have been brought together in a project of, uh, of, of, of liberation. I'm not saying that would have happened. It's still, it's very unlikely. But in any world where it could have happened, Abraham Lincoln doesn't get assassinated. I'll say that. But even if he doesn't get assassinated, the overall issue of the fact that the Whig Party, which drove the, the, the caboose of the Dem Republican Party that became hegemonic in the post-war world, was not fundamentally working class and therefore did not have any interest in furthering the conflict with capitalism and in fact reinscribed capitalism and just instituted the Whig program which was Hamiltonian developmentalism uh, but in the context of the massively accumulated capital that had emerged from uh, from the Civil War itself which created an industrial behemoth that destroyed uh, that became this oppressive force on the, the broad working class and, and that is why you don't want to see the Democrats doing any of this because if they're riding the thing, it'll be another middle class uh, exercise in aesthetic morality. Uh, but there are examples of things like that emerging. And I'd say the populist party is probably the closest we've ever seen to something uh, becoming, becoming just sort of sweeping out uh, through uh, like mutual, uh, mutual, cooperation in the face of exploitation and uh, hardship. But eventually they were absorbed into the, the, the platform uh, of the Democratic Party, which is kind of inevitable. Uh, but honestly, I got to say, the Democrats could collapse like a house of cards. I mean, not it's not in like some of these suburbs, but I think that... Uh, that their failure is going to be pretty dramatic. And a lot of people who are very keyed up right now are going to be very, very mad. And I don't know where it goes. Like I said, it probably doesn't go anywhere. 
but it might go it might go to, to somewhere and if it does it'll be an emergent party I'd say because that's how people are going to express themselves in America because that's what that's what politics will mean to people who are being brought into it not by book learning but by lived experience and cooperation and if we could do that we might finally have a party that the post-war Republican Party could have been and that a lot of people like Marx and certainly Willich hoped it would be, which is a party of uh, labor that would have, in my you know, best-case scenario for a more successful Reconstruction, have gotten rid of the U.S. Constitution and, refound, and created a new, refounded American political structure that would abolish federalism entirely. Uh, I think that that any hope we had to not be on this trajectory would have required that. And I really do think that, like I said, although there's no guarantee it would have worked, it probably wouldn't have. I think that the uh, assassination of Lincoln is one of those rare, contingent, and consequential moments in American history. But if we ever got a party, it would be a party that will take up the banner that the Republicans should have held, which was to take the war against slavery and continue it against wage slavery, the way that Bukharin wanted to take the Red Army after, uh, the, after World War I uh, and turn it into a people's army against uh, Western uh, imperial capitalism. The difference, uh, but it didn't happen. And honestly, one of the big reasons was that after five years of war, people were fucking tired. Um, what we need... The way this is going to happen, like I said, I don't know what it will look like in terms of real structure or specifics, but if it occurs, it'll be because people have, enough people will have found a way to motivate themselves towards a collective good through a, not through reason, not by logic, not in order to uh, performatively demonstrate virtue to other people, and alleviate themselves of their own anxiety about their class position and the amount of exploitation that they, uh, that they uh, benefit from in this world, but because they truly believe that their lot is tied with others to such an extent that, that they can abnegate their own uh, narrow interests. Uh, and it's to that point, I would like to read something that... Uh, one of my favorite people in American history, Eugene Debs, wrote in his The Socialist newspaper Appeal to Reason in 1907 about John Brown and the need for the spirit of John Brown to return. And I want to say before that I read this that when I say if we need like John Brown as an example, as I've talked about, I do not mean any of the violence they carried out, which is what people like. Let's be real. People like John Brown because he cut the heads off of slavers. And they think of John Brown and they imagine themselves like beheading a proud boy and they feel like their vi this violent fantasy that they have is virtuous. That's, that's what it is. And I'm not talking about that. Like, I think anybody who's observed America knows that like, any kind of exemplary violence is not going to motivate any sort of titanic conflict. It's only going to be absorbed as entertainment and as content the way that everything else is. So, not talking about violence. I'm talking about a spirit of commitment. John Brown's violence was in the context of a strategy of ending civil of, of slavery, which was broadly correct in that he saw 
that there was a standoff between sides in which uh, no one on the North cared about slavery enough to uh, commit enough to create a genuine point of conflict with the South. The South was pretty confident up until leaving Kansas that they would just eventually take over the government. Uh, they, they, they were on, because there was an asymmetric, asymmetry of interests. In the South, you had an entire working, moving, working uh, uh, an entire ruling class devoted to slavery at a fundamental level. A culture, wealth, everything was about slavery. And a white society that was all built around slavery, in the lowlands anyway. In the, in the, in, surprisingly, in the hills where there weren't plantations, there was a lot less slavery and, weirdly, a lot less support for the Confederacy during the war. And for some reason, I don't know what that is. Um, but in the North, like I said, it was largely, I just don't want slaves competing with me for labor. You had some abolitionists, those Whigs I was talking about, and, and people who were too hardcore for the Whigs, like the Liberty Party people and the Free Soilers, who said, no, fuck you, uh, let's end this thing. But they were always considered annoying. Like, Northern Democrats hated abolitionists because they thought they were fucking, they were going to create a war that they didn't want to fight because they didn't care about slavery. But as the, sex, as the uh, question of expansion became more central and the the investment of the South in expanding slavery and therefore expanding their control over government became more powerful. That changed the math in the North, but not enough to make anyone cross the fucking boundary. Because at the end of the day, it was abstract to people. It was not abstract to John Brown or the people who rode with him. It obviously wasn't abstract to black people either, but they had very limited power to influence white people's decision-making. John Brown could go to Kansas and do violence that that broke away from the, the stalemate, that that uh, that galvanized the free soil factions in Kansas, who at that point had basically been backing down to the ruffians at every point, and made them fight. And the fight made everyone realize that they, what they were willing to do and brought about the conflict. There's nothing like that in the current moment. There's no violence you could commit that would have that result. All violence would be absorbed. Fucking Stephen Paddock shot 70 fucking people uh, to death from the top of a building, and it was the fifth biggest story of the month. There's no amount of violence you can do uh, that will have any effect. Not even it'll be negative effect. I'm not even going to say don't do it. I mean, yeah, if you kill people, that's bad, probably. I mean, they probably didn't have it coming, especially if it's just because they have the wrong opinions about something. But my God, which is what it would really be, you're not going to go and fight real power. You're going to find somebody who said something you don't like on Twitter and shoot them or something like that because that's what really matters to people. That's what they really care about. Um, what I mean is that spirit of non-abstract commitment as a life. And like I have said, I am not that person. I mean, I, seek, I, I would like to be, and maybe someday I will find a, a situation where I am like, able to believe enough that the thing I could do in front of me would mean something meaning uh, that would like uh, that would justify any any sacrifice but I think that that spirit is necessary and I think that it's going to be I mean I don't think it's not going to happen I don't think it doesn't occur I don't think it's not out there everywhere in the hearts of millions of people it's a question of whether it'll spark in the right places and among the right people where where the rolling ball of humanity can like gather and, and like I said, when I talk about how atomized we are and how we are all consumers and how we can't even think politically, like that is a huge, huge, huge problem. Like Brown Brown activated in an era where politi politicization of life was much more uh, uh, taken, was much more uh, uh, material 
it was it was the, the spectacle of politics was much 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 less a component of people's understanding of their politics. But if we're going to do anything, that's going to going to be. If we're going to do anything except like volunteer to be a fifth column when the fucking Chinese army shows up, uh, that's what we have to keep our eyes out for. As I've said, just keep away. So we'll close here with this from the Appeal to Reason, November twenty third, nineteen oh seven. The most picturesque character, the bravest man, and most self-sacrificing soul in American history was hanged in, at Charleston, Virginia, December 2nd, 1859. On that day, Thoreau said, some 1800 years ago, Christ was crucified. This morning, perchance, Captain Brown was hung. These are the two ends of a chain which is not without its links. He is not old Brown any longer. He is an angel of light. I foresee the time when the painter will paint that scene, no longer going to Rome for a subject. The poet will sing it. The historian record it, and with the landing of the pilgrims and the Declaration of Independence, it will be the ornament of some future national gallery, when at least the present form of slavery shall be no more here. We shall then be at liberty to weep for Captain Brown. Few people dared that, on that fateful day to breathe a sympathetic word for the grizzled old agitator. For years he had carried on his warfare against chattel slavery. He had only a handful of fanatical followers to support him, but to his mind his duty was clear, and that was enough. He would fight it out to the end and if need be, alone. Old John Brown set an example of moral courage and of single-hearted devotion to an ideal for all men and for all ages. With every drop of his honest blood, he hated slavery, and in his early manhood, he resolved to lay his life on freedom's altar in wiping out that insufferable affliction. He never faltered. So godlike was his unconquerable soul that he dared to face the world alone. How perfectly sublime. He did not reckon that overwhelming numbers against him, nor the paltry few that were on his side, this grosser aspect of the issue found no lodgment in his mind or heart. He was right, and Jehovah's was with him. His was not to reckon consequences, but to strike the immortal blow, and to step from the gallows to the throne of God. Not for earthly glory did John Brown wage his holy warfare, not for any recognition or reward the people had it in their power to bestow. His great heart was set upon a higher goal, animated by a loftier ambition. His grand soul was illuminated by a sublimer ideal. A race of human beings, lowly and despised, were in chains, and this festering crime was eating out the heart of civilization. In the presence of this awful plague, logic was silent, reason dumb, pity dead. The wrath of retributive justice, long asleep, awakened at last and hurled its lurid bolt. Old John Brown struck the blow and the storm broke. The that hour, chattel slavery was dead. In the first frightful convulsion, the slave power seized the grand old liberator by the throat, put him in irons, and threw him into a dungeon to await execution. Alas, it was too late. His work was done. All Virginia could do was to furnish the crown for his martyrdom. Victor Hugo exclaimed in a burst of reverential passion, John Brown is grander than George Washington. History may be searched in vain for an example of noble heroism and sublime self-sacrifice equal to that of old John Brown. From the beginning of his career to its close, he had but one ideal and one ideal, and that was to destroy chattel slavery. And in that cause, he sealed his devotion with his noble blood. Realizing that his work was done, he passed serenely, almost with joy, from the scenes of man. His calmness upon the gallows was awe-inspiring, his exhalation supreme. Old John Brown is not dead. His soul still marches on, and each passing year weaves new garlands for his brow and adds fresh luster to his deathless glory. Who shall be the John Brown of wage slavery? I would just like to note also, John Brown was not, uh, he was not a, uh, 
middle-class Whig. He was a broke uh, stockman and farm, farm, farmer. He did not learn the wrongness of slavery in the parlors of good society. He learned it in his heart. And that's where everything has to come from. If it comes from a desire to be perceived as good, if it comes from a desire to uh, justify one's social position and, and, and purge oneself of the guilt associated with the exploitation inherent in their position, it, will, it can go to no good. All right, guys. Bye-bye.